Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. Let's warm this place up. There you are. Matthew chapter 13, if you'll open your Bibles. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. We're glad you're with us today. I have the privilege of being one of the uh, ministers here at the church. And we have been for one year in the study of the Gospels. And we're just going to continue to process Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put together in a chronology. The best of our ability to understand how it possibly or could have taken place in what order. And by looking at that in this last year, we've learned quite a bit. Uh, If you were with us on December 10th, Michael DeFazio uh, spoke from Matthew chapter 13, the first 23 verses on the parable of the soil and the seed. And it was a a parable that Jesus told about a a man who cast seed on the ground. It landed in four kinds of soil. And the the whole uh, complex story was to teach us that our receptivity to the gospel indicates our receptivity to Jesus and how we prepare our lives and our hearts to receive him. And that we preached that on December 10th, and then we spent the 17th and the 24th, the last two Sundays, talking about how the Christmas story is the gospel told in the story of Jesus' arrival through Joseph and Mary. I want to return back to this parable, but I want to tell you what we're going to do so you can prepare yourself for it. We're going to cover four parables this morning very, very quickly. And the reason we're going to do so is because in Matthew chapter 13, what Jesus is doing is he's told these five, these five parables, the one we discussed on the 10th, and the four we're going to discuss today. And he combined all of those because he's giving us a depiction of what the kingdom is. This is about the present kingdom. The crowds are beginning to gather. Jesus has promised this kingdom, and they're beginning to ask questions. So he gives the first parable about their receptivity to him, indicated by their soils, and then he's going to give us four parables this morning that we're going to talk about. You know that these are all combined because Matthew records, and then he told another parable, and then another parable, and another parable. And these parables all begin with this expression, the kingdom of heaven is like. So we know in chapter 13 that Matthew has taken a moment when Jesus taught in parables, and he taught one major theme about the kingdom of heaven. And if we pay attention to that, he even tells us, if you have ears to hear, then hear. We're going to be encouraged this morning. And I hope as we take this last year and we focus on the new year that's coming to us, we will have heard and we'll put into practice what we've heard. Let's begin looking at the parables. And I promise you, you will get home today. I'll be brief. The parables of a present kingdom in an evil world. It's the first parable. It's about the present kingdom in an evil world. Verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The implicit question 
that is being asked of Jesus during this revolution stage where he is showing them what is taking place. As he's introducing this kingdom, the question that people are asking Jesus over and over, if your kingdom is here, then how come the Romans are still in charge? And if your kingdom is here, then how come Israel is not accepting you? And if your kingdom is here, how come the righteous can't catch a break and the unrighteous seem to be prospering? These are fair questions. In fact, if we're honest, they're questions we still ask today. That's why this is relevant teaching for us. So as we begin this new year, we look at it and say, if your kingdom is present, then how come everything seems so jacked up? So not the way you said it would be or not the way we expected it to be. You see, these questions were being asked all the time. John the Baptist, you might remember, we've covered this. John was in prison and he sent his, some of his disciples to Jesus asking the question, are you the Messiah or did we miss something? Because there was an expectation on Jesus and the expectation is, if your kingdom is here, then how come it doesn't seem like that much has changed? And Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable about a field that was planted. And I guess it was common because they have discovered laws about people going in and ruining other people's crops by planting weeds or bad things that would choke out and to get back at a neighbor or get back at a business partner. So this was a, not a common experience, but a familiar one anyway. And what's interesting is, as Jesus is teaching in the crowd this day, the disciples are all probably like us, sitting there shaking their head going, oh, of course. Look down at verse 36. The disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. We, we heard it, but I'm not sure we get it. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds stand for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And they went, oh. So what are we supposed to do with this? Let me give you some subtle points for clarity. The first parable we discussed three weeks ago deals with our individual receptivity. This parable is building off of that, and it's talking about the context of those soils. And what he's teaching us here is that the field is the world, not the church. I think we ruin this parable if we try to make this about the church instead of the entirety of the world. It's it's a bigger issue than that. It's important that we don't stretch this parable beyond its meaning to his audience. There could be a possible future meaning, but we have to begin with the meaning that made sense contextually to the people who are hearing it that day, the disciples. No concept of the church. So he says... I'm talking about the world in which we live, which would answer the question, why is evil prospering if the kingdom is here? Second, the weeds are the result of evil. Now, I I know I'm going to be a little bit picky here, but let's, let's remember that a weed cannot become wheat, and wheat cannot become a weed. So if your interpretation of the parable allows for that to happen, like one day I'm a weed, and the next day I'm a wheat, you're taking it too far. What it's saying here is that the the weeds are the result of evil because Satan is not going to oppose the work of Jesus in such a way that everybody figures out its opposition. What the Bible teaches us is that Satan's opposition to the work of Jesus is to look as much like Jesus' work without being Jesus' work. That's why the church can be full. Churches like us can be full of people who look a lot like Jesus' followers who don't follow Jesus. 
Why? Because Satan has got us convinced a little bit of Jesus and a lot of our lives is better than the alternative. You see, I've used this illustration before and I hope it makes sense because it's the only thing it really clarifies in my head. That Satan doesn't go 47 degrees off of what Jesus said. He goes one degree off of what Jesus says and over time, we will begin to venture away from the truth into the truth we want to receive rather than the truth he gave. So in this parable, he's showing that Satan's work is to get in and stop the work of the kingdom. Another piece of theology we need to hold on to is that Jesus' response to removing the weeds requires patient faith. The response is, well, let's go pull all the weeds. And Jesus said, no, because the wheat is too valuable. I would rather allow the weeds to grow up with the wheat than to harm the wheat. That tells us a little bit about us, doesn't it? That's how he sees us. That he wants us to understand how important we are. And he's not threatened at all by the wheat being with the weeds. The wheat will still prosper. So what's the point of the parable? Let me give you two talking points. Satan will counterfeit God's work to poison God's field. That's what Jesus is pointing out to us. Yes, there's evil in this world, and yes, it sometimes seems that evil's winning, and that's because Satan is trying to snatch the word of God from our soil. He's trying to stop it from growing. He's trying to scorch it. He's trying to smother it. And if he can't overcome it, then he's going to plant false teachers that sound a whole lot like Jesus' teachers, but lead us away from the truth of Jesus. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. When God said in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There will be opposition in this world and that opposition is Satan. The second truth is the power of the gospel will be proven. The gospel will work. It always will work. And this is what he wants us to know. Is that good news today? There's two pieces of good news today. A, the furnaces here work. Amen? Amen? I don't thank God enough for furnaces. On days like this, absolutely. Second thing is, the gospel works even though evil still exists. This is what he wants us to see. Look at verses 40 through 42. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be with the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears... Let him hear. Jesus says, now listen, you want to go pull the weeds. Don't. You're going to harm the wheat. Because the wheat can prosper even with the weeds. So he said, I'm going to leave them there and trust me. By faith, be patient with me. Because there will come a moment in time when the great harvest will come. And in the harvest, evil will receive what it asked for. And the righteous will receive what they've asked for. In fact, they will shine like the sun. So does it feel okay to say that the kingdom of God is going to grow in this present age even though evil exists. Is that good news, church? Okay, I would hope so because you wouldn't know it by sitting in here right now, but I think deep inside you're all celebrating, right? Happy New Year, okay. Second parable. The parable of the power of a little faith. It's found in verses 31 and 32. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which it took which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. And when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. This parable is hopeful. This parable tells us that this is a little bit of faith will begin something that will change the world. 
It doesn't mean that a little bit of faith is all you should search for. But that little bit of faith that begins in seeing the kingdom, remember the question is, how can these things be going on if the kingdom's here? And he said, believe the kingdom's here and it will explode like a mustard seed becomes a tree. The gospel will become this beautiful thing. And I don't know if it's there, but there's something that harkens in my mind about the birds being sent off of the ark in Noah's day to find if there was life after the flood and they brought back an olive branch. Makes me wonder if there's not an illusion here. That with a little bit of faith, the kingdom will grow, and as it grows, the birds of the air will find their rest from the judgment of God. So here's what I want you to take away from this parable God is capable of making little into much. God is capable of taking your faith, as small as it may be, and doing something with it that changes history. We know that the mustard plant was an herb one of the tiniest seeds that you can see, but it becomes a tree. And the seed of God's faith that he's given us to believe in through creation, through the work of Jesus, the testimony of believers around us can grow into something that will change the world. Look at Jesus' story. We just celebrated it. We're still packing it all away. This little tiny seed planted in this little tiny girl in this little tiny town on a date nobody really knows And the world's presses didn't stop that day. CNN didn't report on it. And yet we're still talking about it thousands of years later, aren't we? What is God able to do with the faith of a a young girl who gives birth to a young guy who grows up and for 30 years is just another dude until he reveals what he's been called to do and he's changed every one of our lives? And we got up on a cold Sunday morning and drove to this cold place and walked across that cold parking lot because he's real. And celebrating him takes a little bit of faith. And oh my goodness, what God has done with a little bit of faith. If you don't believe that, read the book of Acts and find out what a little bit of faith does in changing the world. That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's our hope. That there is a present kingdom that is growing in this evil world and prospering. And that the power of a little faith matters. The third parable is the parable of invaluable discovery. Invaluable discovery. These are actually, you could count these as two parables. I'm going to combine them together and show you why I think they're one. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now what's fascinating here is it would not be uncommon for you and I back in Jesus' day to rent a field from the owner so that we could harvest that field, that we could plant and harvest that field and that's how we might feed our family or make our living or whatever. Well, in this particular case, they also said that when men went away to war, they would hide their treasures because there weren't banks and there weren't safes. They would hide their treasures in different places and in particular, a man had rented a field in this, in this picture that Jesus created. And while harvesting or, or tilling up that field, he came across a great treasure. When he discovered the treasure, he reburied it. Because that would not be his unless he what? Owned the field. So the question Jesus raises is if you were tilling up this field that was not yours and you found a treasure in it and discovered the value of that treasure, would you not sell everything else you have to own that field? And the answer is of what? Of course. Yes. And then he tells the second one. And there was this dude out looking for pearls. Notice the difference between the two guys. 
One guy finds his treasure by accident, the other finds it on purpose. But it doesn't change the story. It's one lesson. That when you find the valuable nature of what you're being offered by God, you move heaven and earth to get it. That there's no expectation. When I was a kid, I'm so sad Paul Harvey's gone. Because he found these for me. Now I have to find them on my own. But in the past month or so, I was online and I was looking through Flipbook and I came across this story about a man who went to an estate sale and he found a frame he liked. It was a little bit pricey, but it was a beautiful frame. He knew what he wanted to do with it. He had the picture that he wanted to put into it. He wasn't sure if it would quite fit. So he had all these things, but he saw this frame. He paid like $112, if I remember the story correctly, for this frame. And he took it to this guy who did pictures for him to see if he could get the picture expanded to fit in that frame because it was perfect for his house and what he wanted. Well, what he found out when he took the frame, some of you are already there, when he took the frame to the picture guy, he found out that the picture was a long lost piece of art that they thought had been destroyed and was worth over $30,000. Now his wife was mad at him that he spent 112 bucks at an estate sale for a frame. So was it worth it? Oh, obviously it's worth it. This is the parable Jesus told about a man who bought a frame that had little value and found out that what it contained had greater value. Now, was he a fool for, sell, for spending $112 on the frame? No, because the value he received was greater than what he gave away. And Jesus is saying to you and I that the discovery of these treasures found in the kingdom of heaven, no matter how evil the world is and no matter how small our faith is to start with, when we discover the value of the kingdom of heaven, should we not get rid of everything else to possess it? What's the answer? Of course. Of course. So we have a present kingdom growing in an evil world We have the power of a little bit of faith to change history. We have the invaluable discoveries, whether by accident or on purpose. And the fourth parable is the parable of a kingdom available to all. I think Jesus is brilliant. I mean, the more I study him, the more I realize his intentionality surpasses anything I imagined. Sometimes I read the Bible and it seems like little just flippant stories of a man who once lived and now I realize just how smart and well-developed he was to bring us along on this journey. We get to this passage, verses 47 through 52. Once again, notice how he's connecting these pieces. He's telling us something in the 13th chapter of Matthew. These aren't random stories. He's taking us someplace. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of these things? Jesus asked. I don't know if I believe this last part, but yes, they replied. You know, it's kind of like your parents. Do you understand me, young man? And you're like, yeah, as long as this ends. So they're telling these stories, and then I had to learn what this dragnet was. So I'm going to have to give you like a demonstration because it's tough verbally to to paint the picture. They would station these weighted nets. They would be weighted at the bottom, and they'd be pulled by these ropes on the top, and they would station it on the beach. Imagine I'm standing and you're, you're all the lake. They would station one of the posts right here and sink it down into the rock or into the clay or into the sand. Don't picture a beach like a state park because those aren't the beaches they have in this area around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was most likely teaching. 
So they would post this big post, and at the bottom to the top would be stationed this net. And they would take the, the boat, would go straight out toward the back of the room here. And then it would take a turn to the right or left. And the entire time, the net would follow the boat, and you could see, like my arm scraping things, crumbs off of a table into a trash can, the net would go into the water, and it would collect all the fish. And the fishermen and the boat would pull the boat, but the real fishermen stayed on the beach. And they would walk up to the net, and they would take the fish out that they could sell or eat, and they would throw the rest of the fish back into the water or dispose of the ones that they couldn't make money off of or had very, very little value. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is a lot like this net that goes out into the world and it captures all kinds of people. Some will value the kingdom. Some will be tossed away because they never valued the kingdom. It seems like a strange parable, but I think it's brilliant because many, many people benefit by the grace of God's kingdom. But many don't value it either. I could go on. I don't have time, but it just hits me. I do have time. Okay, so uh, hospitals, schools. Do you know what resurrected people have done in our world? Do you know that hospitals were predominantly, if not completely, started by Christians? That orphanages started by Christians? Because in the world before Jesus, if you were an orphan or a widow, you'd starve. That was just the lot in life you got. That's what the gods deemed and that's what you got. But Christians came out and took the words of Jesus seriously and decided, no, my goodness, no. This isn't the way it should be. We should care for one another. We should love one another. Love God, love our fellow man. And we began things like hospitals and schools and started doing this training of God's word. And the church has made a difference. And yet some people don't see the difference. But many do. The kingdom will bless Everyone. But not everyone will desire to bless the kingdom. So what's he taught us? In verse 52, he said, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Be a learner. And then take what you've learned and use it. Take what you've always known about God and take the new things about God. Take, take the concept of this kingdom and bring from the storeroom the goodness that God has intended for you, about a present kingdom that will overcome the evil that surrounds it, about the power of a little faith to provide a resting place in this world, to talk about the invaluable discoveries that are found in Jesus. And whether you find it by accident or you find it on purpose, when you find it, you know it's worth more than anything else you've ever known. And understand that the kingdom is here to bless all people. And in the blessing of all people, we offer them the opportunity at the end of the judgment of God where the righteous will be judged and the unrighteous will be judged. Let's be clear about this. The righteous will be judged with blessing. God's not going to pull up all your sins and see if you've outdone your your sins and said, hey, you won this game 38 to 37. Now he's going to look at you and say, you You lived your life by faith and I will test the work of your life based on faith and the things that are worthless will burn up and the things that are valuable will stay forever and you'll be blessed by those. To the unrighteous, to those who refuse to follow and understand the blessing of Jesus Christ, you'll be judged for why or how you're going to save yourself. And at the end, you're going to say, I can't. And Jesus said, I know, that's why I came. And those that will not let Jesus bless them with salvation and lordship will be taken away from both. And those who have received it will receive it so much more. He said, that's my kingdom. 
That's what I'm inviting you into. And those of you that are in it should go into the world and pour from the storeroom of blessings all the blessings you have so others will be caught up and brought into it in the same way you were, whether they're looking for it or finding it by accident. Church, he asked a great question. He said, do you understand what I'm talking about? And they went, yeah. I'm gonna ask you this morning, do you understand what he's offering us? As we review the last year, we hear Jesus say, I'm offering you the chance of a lifetime. Will you take it? Next week, should you come back to worship again with us, we're gonna look at Luke chapter nine where Jesus made it crystal clear what a disciple is expected to give up to be a part of the kingdom. For many of us, we put up our hands and go, I don't know, I'll come to church, but I'm giving up. No, no, understand it. That in this kingdom, it's worth everything you're asked to give up to receive all that he intends for us. This is the kingdom, and Jesus is the king. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, I'd love to have a conversation with you. There's several of us on staff. I'd love to meet with you for coffee or, or buy you breakfast or lunch and just be able to get together and say, here's why we're followers and here's what you're asked to do to follow Jesus. There's a number of people who come on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday who aren't disciples of Jesus. They're churchgoers. Please don't mistake the two. You can go to church and not be a disciple of Jesus. But I don't believe you can be a disciple of Jesus and not be a part of the church. So if you desire to know, in a room this large, we're not going to have you walk up in front of everybody, but we'll be in the foyer. My email address is available online. We'll connect you with someone because we believe that being a disciple of Jesus is the only thing that matters. It's like finding a treasure in a field. Once you realize how valuable it is, you'll get rid of everything else to be a part of it. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.